This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Greetings. This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm about to have a conversation. I, Master Plo, have you heard of this conversation? Yes, Kotor Obi-Wan. You're listening to Star Wars Conversations here indeed. I like to say that. Conversation. Now I can't stop. All right. May the force be with you. Listen on. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Charles. And I'm Pat, and this is episode 76. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times, before the Empire. Without the Jedi, there can be no balance in the force. Since the High Republic, the Jedi stood as beacons of hope. And one Jedi may be our only hope. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Chills, that was very good. Wow. No? Okay. All right. What's that from? I don't know. I read it on the internet. It was a tweet somewhere, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) So, Star Trek. Yes, indeed. We all know it's all that Kenobi, of course. Yes. And um... I feel like if we're going to talk about Obi Wan Kenobi, we need to bring some friends with us. Right, because this episode is going to be most things Kenobi. You know, it's we're, we're really delving into the subject. You see what I did there? <laughs> so I see what you did right? there. That was good. <laughs> it's very smooth. <laughs> we have Lauren and Leanne from the Most Things Kenobi podcast. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you for having us. <laughs> We've been waiting for this excitedly, and it's finally here, and we're so happy to be on with you two. Yes, thank you for inviting us on. Absolutely. We're jealous of your name, first off. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to think I had most things Kenobi, but now I'm just down to the beard and the voice. So That's all you all need, right, really? You guys. <laughs> really what it all comes down to anyway. Besides it's the true. robe. The oh, yes, robe is yes. very important. You've got that too, so you've got it all worked out. Perfect. <laughs> we'll get you to sign a few things. Will that make you feel better? Yeah, yeah. That'll work. Yeah, let's do it. So we're going to kind of delve into, uh, well, my favorite Jedi and everyone's favorite Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if he's not, well, he should be. Right. (laughs) Who are we getting? He at least has the most magnificent hair. He does. And cheeky one-liners as well. (laughs) (laughs) He does. The best best robe drop. Absolutely. Jedi. And the accent. Okay, okay, okay. Let's back up. Let's back up. Okay. <laughs> so before this becomes just a fond fest for Obi-Wan, um, in episode 72, uh, Lauren and Leanne, they answered our OTQ questions. And Pat and I have listened to their show for a long time. Love the show. So if you're not listening and following and subscribing and liking and sharing and five-star rating, all that kind of stuff, I don't know what you're doing. But how about you guys just give a quick little once-over about your show and um, how it started and what you guys are up to? Sure. Well, I started Most Things Kenobi in 2017. It's just a blog, kind of a place to put all my feelings after watching Clone Wars. 
because I had been like a, a good Star Wars fan, you know, with the original trilogy. And then I started watching Clone Wars and it just uh, absorbed every inch of my brain. <laughs> so I had to put my feelings somewhere and I started a blog. And that's how I met Leanne actually online. And we just became really close friends. And over time, we decided we talked about Star Wars anyway, all the time. So we figured might as well start a podcast. And <laughs> it's a new place to put both our feelings. Now. Yes, all the feelings that we always have when it comes yeah. to the various characters and storylines in Star Wars. And yep, Lauren basically summed it up. Yep, we became friends and here we are. <laughs> like our intro said, it's a podcast about Obi-Wan Kenobi and all things Star Wars. So it's basically just whatever we feel like tackling that week. But it's been super fun. With at least one free tangent thrown in every episode. <laughs> well, what's a good podcast without a couple tangents, right? Exactly. That's what I think. Not to get too off track. But... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, we offer five every episode. Right? See? Yes. That's how we well, do. it's it's a punch card system. Okay? Right. Yeah. Once you get court. enough, then there's a giveaway or something. <laughs> that's great. Ooh, stickers. Uh-huh. Okay. I guess we could talk for hours and hours and days and days about Obi-Wan and, and all of his fantasticness um i think for the purposes of this we will do three key moments in obi-wan kenobi's arc and some very pivotal ones too and yeah. uh jarring painful surprising the, there's many words that can be used in these three moments that we're going to get into but before we get to that i'd just like to go around the room and just get everyone's feeling on why is kenobi so enduring like as a character and Leanne, let's start with your reasons for why Kenobi is uh, so enduring. Well, I think if I had to sum it up concisely, which I do, I would say it has <laughs> to do with his perseverance and that I think he's one of those guys that you strive to be because he's good, but you know he's also human and, and that's relatable. And so I think it's his perseverance, the things he's gone through, and uh, he still maintains his good character through all of it. And I think that's relatable or at least something we all want to achieve at some point, you know, and that's why I've always loved him that and the hair, but <laughs> mainly because perseverance is a big thing to me. So, <laughs> Namely his perseverance with his hair care routine. It's, it's the hair care. Yeah. <laughs> and Lauren, what about you? Well, I agree. I agree with Leanne on all points, including the hair, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think he, he appears as like one thing on the surface. He seems maybe kind of like, as I would describe him, like a Galahad character where he seems like striving for perfection. But really, as you start to analyze his character, he's far more complicated and he's actually a little bit, I won't say hypocritical, but there are, which is human, right? It makes him more accessible and more human when you realize he, oh, he's not perfect. What Leanne said, he's... He's relatable because he makes mistakes and he pays pretty dearly for some of the mistakes he makes, but he doesn't let go of the parts of him that are meaningful to him. You know, like his Jedi code and his honor and his valor are all things that he prizes. And that's why he never turns to the dark side, even though another person might under the same pressure that he was living under. And I just find that very fascinating and engaging Hundred percent, same. Mm -hmm. Pat, what about you? Ditto. <laughs> you know, I, he's good. He's mm -hmm. good and just person. 
and I like the good guys. You know, everybody, you know, everybody's people are down a little bit on the good guys. You know, like Vader and all these, all these sort of anti-heroes and all. But like, I'm a Captain America, Superman sort of like straight up good guy. You know, so he's good, and he tries to be the best that he can. Um, not to skip ahead but you know when taking on the mantle of training anakin he does it because he thinks it's the right thing to do to honor his mentor so you know it's just these things um with other opportunities that he has in his life and he chooses the right path because it's the honorable path Mm -hmm. i respect that i strive for that and I relate to that and I can understand and appreciate where he's coming from and I can relatively convincingly cosplay him. <laughs> I do not disagree. <laughs> That's true. That, your beard is very convincing, especially yes. with the cloak and everything. I was yes. convinced. <laughs> but they always have to make a grand entrance. Yes. <laughs> See the voice too. Love yes. it. <laughs> so for me, uh, I really don't like Kenobi. He's my least favorite Star Wars character. And uh, no, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I was gonna say, I don't. What are we doing here? No, no. You're taking no. one for the team, um, if that's true. It's like, no. dude, you picked the topic. <laughs> Changing all the social passwords. So you're done, pal. Sorry. <laughs> so. Everything you guys have said has been true, and I completely agree with. Uh, the only thing I would add to it is the way that he is quick on his feet. Uh, there's mm-hmm. many situations where he's presented with different options, obstacles, challenges, that kind of thing. And while it may seem haphazard at the time, and it could very well be so, it usually ends up in the right place. Uh, obviously, he's a Jedi, so that could have something to do with it. But he has the ability to really read a situation on the fly. And with his penchant for wanting to stay within the rules of a certain situation, it makes it even harder. And I really appreciate it because it's easy to do one thing and then out of hell with the consequences. And that's Mm -hmm. fun to do and everyone's done it. It's a whole entirely different thing to uh, know sort of the constraints you have to do and then follow through with it and then still coming out at the end in the positive results. And that's something I strive for at work and life and all that kind of stuff. So that's what really resonates with me. And I, even when I think back when I saw A New Hope and seeing this old guy, you know, old Obi-Wan as maybe, you know, hiding the truth or whatever he was doing for Luke uh, and as the other stuff came out and you can retroactively fix a lot of stuff. Even at that sort of stage, he was still doing things for the betterment of Luke or protect him to a certain degree. So he was still doing it at that point, even as a force ghost. So it follows through the entire 40 plus years of Star Wars. And I, I really, really appreciate that about his character. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I was thinking about this actually when Pat was talking, because in real life, the kind of person that you would want around you is the kind of person who really sticks to what they believe in. Like they keep an oath, right? And this is kind of like an old fashioned idea nowadays. Everybody kind of changes with the way the wind blows. But Obi-Wan, of course, there's like the guilty pleasure of wishing like he and Satine had a relationship. But I always truthfully, the truth is the fact that they kind of never really had that open relationship and 
I don't think they ever actually had one once Clone Wars came around, you know, maybe when they were kids, but not when they were an adult. But the point I'm trying to make is that he didn't go back on his oath, even though he had strong feelings for Satine. He kept his oath to the Jedi, because if he broke his oath to the Jedi, what's to keep him from breaking his oath to Satine or anybody else under any other circumstances? Mm -hmm. I think it actually proves how noble he really is. Very true. Wow. The dedication he has is... I mean, dedicated to uh, selfless, mostly selfless, yeah. I would say. I mean, 99.9% mm-hmm. yeah. of selflessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something I strive for, and I'm not very good at at times. But he's he is someone <laughs> to, uh, you know, to look after to be that. And he was, he was dedicated even when he was dead as a force <laughs> ghost. I mean, <laughs> didn't Lauren and I say, like, you can His take dedication. a rest now, Obi-Wan. Yeah, like, like you don't have to continue with this anymore you're allowed to have a self-care moment in the yeah. afternoon <laughs> no hold my spotchka i'm going back to help yeah. <laughs> oh. he's dedicated even in death oh, that's so i mean it's true man like he's still up trying to lead these yep. skywalkers yeah so they don't go astray yeah. the damn skywalkers oh man see that's everybody's like why do we want age so much Skywalker. They did it. They did it. 100%. Yes. Uh, Okay. So, the first key moment in the life and times of Obi-Wan Kenobi the death of Qui Gon Jinn. So, why don't you kick us off, Lauren, with your thoughts on the death of Jinn? Oh, my. What a subject. I think it was probably, well, we've talked about this in one of our episodes. It's it's kind of like a complex moment because he and Qui-Gon had had a lot of contention leading up to this battle sequence. And he had just been like disavowed by him, basically, a few scenes prior in the council chambers. So I think it was probably doubly painful to have had that happen and then also have it end the way it did. But at the same time, it completely changed the trajectory of Obi-Wan's life, which we actually read in the short stories from a certain point of view. They actually say this, that he didn't even know what kind of man he was yet. He was still a young man. He wasn't even a Jedi Knight yet. And he had an idea of the path he would follow. And that was completely changed when they found Anakin. And even more so when Qui-Gon died and he took on the responsibility of training Anakin. Mm -hmm. So, I think that moment was a huge turning point, a pivotal moment that sent him on a whole new trajectory. But you could also argue that it was meant to be that way, I suppose. You know, fate, the force Mm. kind Mm. of made it, made everything line up exactly Mm -hmm. in this pattern. And there's no fighting the force, is there? (laughs) Unbeknownst to him. Yes. He, He was getting his teachings and learning from his masters and, and, going on missions and all with a certain trajectory, like you said, and Mm -hmm. with everything kind of being forced a different direction um, is what the galaxy needed, but he was blindsided by that. Mm -hmm. So Leanne, what are your thoughts on the death of Jin? Well, it wasn't called Duel of the Fates, not just for Anakin. I think Obi-Wan's fate was sealed the minute, I mean, when Qui-Gon passed, like Lauren said, it was so pivotal, but I, he got his first taste of 
accepting a responsibility after something terrible and that will continue to happen throughout his life. And I think based on what we've seen in the Mortis arc in the Clone Wars, he hears Qui-Gon talking to him. I mean, it never really leaves him. He's affected by it right up until the very end in Rebels, right? When he deals with Maul. I mean, he is affected by it and thinks about it and carries it with him, shouldering it. It gives him purpose. I mean, there's so many promises that weren't spoken that he made to Qui-Gon by shouldering what Qui-Gon started with Anakin. And of course, that affected everything down the line. So I just think it's it was fate. It was meant to happen. And unfortunately, it wouldn't be the first time that Obi-Wan experienced taking on a large responsibility immediately following something terrible. That's a good point. When you say about, you know, the words were simple. Uh, Qui-Gon's dying words, train the boy. Yes. Yeah, train the boy. But it is a galaxy of everything else that comes with it including the prophecy that Qui-Gon, you know, believed in wholeheartedly. That's, wow, that's true. So simple in task, but certainly not uh, simple in execution. Not by any means, no. I think it's one of the first times that he has to go with the Force. It's mm -hmm. like realizing that it's not about what he wants. It's about, like, not resisting what's happening. And I think that's what makes Obi-Wan different than Anakin. Anakin resists because he feels it's unjust and he can't can't let this happen. And Obi-Wan lets a lot of things happen that Anakin can't. And it's because it's the difference between a hero and a villain is the ability to accept fate. Yeah, and like you said, it's more about what the universe requires of him than what he wants because... He thought of Anakin as useless. And he, on his own, would never have taken on that responsibility unless his master asked him to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally noble. a really good point. It is completely noble. So, Pat, like, how would you expand upon that? You just said it. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it was, it was interesting because to watch that scene where he's, uh, you know, behind the red lights of death and uh, can't get into the reactor room where duel is happening. And he sees Qui-Gon get impaled. He, he's, he's in agony. And then he immediately jumps to anger and uses aggression to try and defeat Maul. He's not able to, because he's using aggression and he's clouded by anger and he gets tossed over the side and right. now he has to rethink his life um, <laughs> as he's hanging on for dear life. So four little fingers. Yes. Yes. Um, as a rock climber, that's so unbelievable how long he was hanging there. Uh, he used the force. He would have to. <laughs> He'd have to. Yeah. There's no grip in the universe that strong, or right. is there? Ask, right. well, ask Vader. Maybe uh, Tommy Caldwell, uh, but uh, otherwise. <laughs> so, so, as he's clinging to life, he kind of recenters himself and relaxes and doesn't fall, but gets in tune with the force and then he's mindful of his surroundings and then he's able to leap up get qui-gon saber and boom well then you know chippity chop uh old molded 
And um, so it's from letting go, from getting rid of the hatred and the anger and the aggression that he's able to defeat him. Hmm. It's a skill that he learned very quickly, but very effectively. And, mm-hmm. you know, that approach to a villain that was able to defeat his mentor with relative ease one-on-one was a critical learning experience for him because it taught him to pause, to think, to absorb, and to just feel the force flow through him and guide his actions and guide his movements, you know, towards victory. And like listening to his learnings from Qui-Gon and yeah. through the Jedi Order, basically right. like sort of recentering, like you said, and finding those pieces. I mean, the one thing he didn't learn was, you know, to aim for the neck, but he learned that later on, but that's fine. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, Always go for the neck. He did, he did learn the value of the high ground, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he did, because he used his knowledge of that move against Anakin when it yep. came time in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, boy. So yeah, we've talked about the relationship, and that's, that's a huge part of it. And I had listened to the Master and Apprentice novel and how it sort of goes back into their history as Master and Apprentice, obviously. And, you know, that's carried forward, and you see that relationship, and Qui-Gon even characterizes it as an uneasy match and with misunderstandings and emotional outbursts for years. And then, not to give the book away or anything, but the they have this mission on Pygel, and they go through a lot of a lot of stuff, and Qui-Gon is offered a seat on the council, and he turns it down to... Uh, explore the force because during this novel he has a vision Qui-Gon I mean that he foresaw the pivotal moment in this book and while he, he misread it but because he misread it it actually worked out right and everything fell into place and after this mission on Pygel you know they literally shook hands and uh, said that you know they have never felt closer before and became these partners in exploration of the force so when I read that and I carried it forward to this movie um and Pat and I haven't talked about this. I haven't brought this up before, but my head canon is that moment when the red, ra- the red walls of death, as you call them, uh, in the uh, before they get into the uh, the fusion room, when Qui Gon has a moment of meditation. I believe that he foresaw that he was going to die in this battle, and that he pushed forward because he knew that Obi Wan was ready to pick up the mantle. What he was going to do, and he was going to be an integral part of the fate of Anakin as it goes forward. And when he asked him to train the boy, it called back to a moment in that book. Obi-Wan said that even though at first I didn't believe the prophecies that Qui-Gon believed in, I chose to believe. And I think Qui-Gon knew that and he knew he was going to take that mantle and he was the right person for Anakin at this moment and literally passed him on to him. And as we know, living force and the Yoda's missions that he had and how to become one with the force and, and the force ghosts. So it all sort of plays into it, but that's the, for me, that was a huge part of allowing Qui-Gon to then expand the Jedi order's ability to speak to Jedi and provide them guidance throughout their future years. Yeah, that's amazing. Leanne and I talked about that a bit because uh, we said that what if Qui-Gon had lived you know, Qui-Gon is the reason that Obi-Wan and Yoda know how to preserve their consciousness because mm-hmm. he studied the wills and he died and then came to Yoda, you know, in the Lost Missions or whatever that season six was called. Yeah. And 
you know, if he had stayed alive, maybe he'd have continued that study. Who knows what would have happened? But he, because he died in that moment, he affected all these lives, including mm-hmm. Luke's, because of his ability to bring that knowledge to the Jedi that survived Order 66. It was pretty, that's, I like your headcanon. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good headcanon. Cool, thank you. Stamp of approval for me. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, it took five seconds. For Obi-Wan to run the, from the opening of the Red Walls of Death to the last wall of death. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. And that's obviously a pivotal moment where you see him screaming no, you know, like that. Yeah. He had to be there behind there. Um, but that that thought, you know, really play into what you're talking about as well, Lauren, where the once that force has its fate figured out for the people within the force, there's really no way of, you know, getting beyond that. And it seems like Qui-Gon, out of all the Jedi that we know so far, really was in tune with that. Um, and if he did see that, then that's just his way of playing his part within that fate. That's mm-hmm. a, while being heart-wrenching and uh, extremely tough, it was meant to be almost, and sort of a little bit of solace, almost a little bit of this is what needed to happen versus what we wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. Anybody have a tissue? <laughs> right? I'm not crying, you're crying. It's that onion. <laughs> I love that moment where Qui-Gon kneels down. It's such a good moment. You're just yes. like, what's what's he doing yes. and what's gonna happen? And, <laughs> and you see yeah, so and you see Maul like pacing, he's pacing like a wild yeah. animal. Yeah. yeah, like an animal in a cage. Yeah. And you see all the way in the back, like Obi-Wan's like, Oh my god, I'm back here, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. He knows something's happening. You can tell in his eyes too, and that's happening. Ugh. When you get that like lip, the lip curl, snarl, the like physical oh. show yeah, of I, anger, I, I love that. You only really see him get very angry when he's around Maul. You see it in Clone Wars too, where he like mm-hmm. actually looks very mm-hmm. in like yes. enraged, which you just never see from Obi Wan. Right. Because Maul pushes all the buttons. <laughs> you also see the anger start to come out in his fighting methods a little bit, and he has to pull back, just mm-hmm. like in the Phantom Menace, yes, in some of the Clone Wars fights that he has with Maul. You can yeah. see he's he's wow. right on that edge, mm-hmm. and he has to remind himself, okay, I got to chill. I'm a Jedi. I, can, I need right. to do yeah. this without, you know, no attack, always defense, right? So I've heard this really interesting thing about uh, a person who's actually into fencing was talking about blade flourishing, and they were saying that Anakin doesn't flourishes blade that often it's very uncommon but obi-wan does it all the time where he's twirling the blade in his mm-hmm. hand even when he's walking and the, that's an indication of a fencer who has pent-up energy and they're trying mm. to expel mm-hmm. it before they fight so that they don't use too much emotion when they fight mm. okay. cool yeah, okay. I was like, that's that's really interesting. Maybe it's just you and McGregor mm-hmm. trying to be cool, but <laughs> that's why he made the zoom zoom noises when they were yep, yep. when they were filming. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh man, that's that part. Mm-hmm. And I guess we need to take a commercial break. Uh, yes. this one's sponsored by Kleenex. I think. Can we say that? <laughs> No, it's, puffs. it's puffs. I think. Is it puffs with aloe? I think. I think so. I think so. We need the tissues often with Star Wars, so right, right, best right, not to chafe. Right. Exactly. Mm. Has the Empire seized your moisture farm? Has the Empire reprogrammed your droids without your knowledge? Has the Empire taken your speeder? 
you are in luck. I'm Mondo Onaka of Onaka and Melch, attorneys at law. We'll get what you deserve from the Empire. And you'll get something too. We are back. Thank you very much to our sponsor, and uh, we appreciate that very much. And yes, we were talking about three pivotal moments. We went through our first one with uh, the death of Qui-Gon Jinn, which, of course, is very uh, emotionally tough to discuss. So we're going to you know, take it down a few notches and get a little bit easier and talk about the death of Satine. This is not easier. This is not easier <laughs> at all. This is much worse. Sorry. <laughs> much worse. <laughs> More and more pain. This episode I can't watch is this without such stopping. an emotional marathon for me. Lead us off in this discussion then of um, the death of Satine and, and how it affected Obi Wan. I don't wanna. Um, <laughs> I pass. No, I. You know, he loved her. He had a uh, forbidden but very strong love for her, and uh, it was unlike anything that he'd had or shared with anyone certainly not the kind of relationship you would have with with anyone else uh uh any other jedi or or any of the people that he would interact with otherwise so she was very special to him and not only was it her death that was the problem it was the manner in which Mm -hmm. she was killed and Mm -hmm that it was in front of him and you know at the hands of Maul no less so it's one of those situations where you get a little bit of backstory of his relationship with her and you know nothing overtly romantic there was romance there certainly but but nothing acted upon uh the way they spoke to each other the way that they interact with each other and regarded each other was was very romantic and that was the extent of obi-wan's romantic life she was it and he would have been very happy with her i'm sure Mm. and i'm gonna need a minute Uh, but that's so that's the thing is she she had um you know had she said let's run away together he would have but you know I think he fell for her because of what she stood for as well. And she was unwilling to, quote unquote, be responsible for him leaving the order. So she sacrificed the same way he did. And so it's um, it's through that relationship that he had, because I'm calling it a relationship, okay, um it's through that relationship that he was able to see past the sort of antiquated idea that attachments are forbidden and that they're you know you can't love people and all this uh because they're not as detrimental as the jedi order made them out to be it's sort of a case-to-case basis on how you respond to that how you react to that and when you're looking at the relationship of Obi-Wan and Satine, you've got a certain aspect of purity there. You've got reverence and respect for each other. And it was wholesome and beneficial to them. When you look at 
Anakin and Padme and all the secrecy and the deception oh, yeah. and, and going around corners to get a little peck on the cheek or whatever. It's like you're going about this the wrong way and that's the key difference. And that's wow. what led Anakin down that path, whereas the more wholesome approach that Obi-Wan took kept him on the straight and narrow. Noble. Losing her was one thing, but the insight that he gained from their relationship, I think, helped him to be more compassionate than he could have otherwise been. <clears throat> Beautifully said. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single thing I would add to any of that. It was well done. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, there's the other part that I'm excited about. Leanne, Lauren, which one of you would like to respond to that one? For me, the tragedy of Satine's death, Qui-Gon was pivotal, but this was like salt in a wound. It's the same person he had to deal with taking another person he loved out of his life. And if it were me, I would just lay down and just crumble because think of the absolute pain and the, like the bitterness that would come from this same individual mall taking yet another person's life that he can't save. I mean, a lesser person would crumble at that, but Kenobi persevered. But in, in a sense of the romantic relationship, I do think they both respect each other. I think it was the respect that they had for one another that was like the true foundation. Of course, they probably found each other attractive. Obviously, they're two attractive people who were attracted to each other. But I think the foundation of why they always ended up back with each other, at least for a mission, you know, like in the Clone Wars. But I mean, they had that respect between them. She respected him enough, you know, maybe not the Jedi's methods, you know, because she was a pacifist and all, but... She respected him for staying with what he believed in, keeping to that. And he respected her because she stuck with what she believed in, which was peace and keeping Mandalore at least out of all wars and, and trying to find some harmony with the Mandalorians there. And those are two that being a Jedi is difficult and being a leader of her kind of the kind that she led, that's incredibly difficult. So I think there was that mutual respect that, surpass beyond their like young romance together and that's what i've always liked about them they're two adults they've been through it all and a part of it was together and but that just makes her death even more heart-wrenching mm -hmm. i guess it's all of that leading up to why her death would have really really done me in but no he he managed to carry on i mean he didn't even really have time to think about it he was thrust right into that mess of a war happened right outside i mean mm -hmm. yeah. my head cannon maybe we'll see it in the kenobi series but he mm -hmm. carries that pain with him and it for every year that passes it's heavier and heavier and i mm -hmm. i do hope we get to see him try to wrestle with that or address that or not address it for that matter in the kenobi series mm -hmm. we're looking for pain lauren and i said <laughs> if you're going to have a kenobi <laughs> television series live action when he finally gets to tatooine there's got to be pain I'm ready. Take me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for the pain. I know that really has nothing, you know, to do with Satine's actual death, but I think the weight he carries from it yeah. forever. Qui-Gon's weight and Satine's weight. 
and then solitude on Tatooine. Like what else? Yeah, sure he's looking mm-hmm. after Luke, but what else is he going to be doing there except wrestling with transpired his whole life? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Charles, you want to uh, you want to give your take on this little tidbit sure. here? Um, I have very little written about this part. Speak from the heart. Speak well. That's what. That's exactly what it was. And what I had written down was that. Satine is his equal in character, steadfastness, and love. And when those two come together and how they were torn apart by Maul yet again as the catalyst for this to happen, she respects what he's doing on his side at the Jedi. and He's respecting her as a leader of Mandalore, as a planet. But in her moment of need, she needs help. He came without probably the full support of the council, but Probably like on the side, okay, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see in a week. A little sabbatical, <laughs> whatever. Um, but what the hardest thing that was for me when I saw the two sides is that I think that Obi-Wan sees himself in Satine and that she is the ultimate example and trying to remain neutral with all the powers and doing the right thing, the, the mission of the Jedi. And from Satine's side, she sees... Obi-Wan as the wielder of peace, but also with the sort of aggression if it needs to be. And that would have endeared herself more to Mandalore. But they come together at two different sides of what they need to be. And then she's taken away from him. And that to me was just, it's just ripping, ripping out half of himself because it's almost like he's striving to be what she is and to see that death at the hands of Maul, no less. And when he runs into Bo-Katan and realizes that's her sister, that's another arc that I hope that gets touched upon or just sort of mentioned or something that there's a respect in there. Because I th- you even see it in the animated face of Bo-Katan where she looks at him like, hmm, you know, you're the one my sister chose and you're the Jedi who I'm not supposed to trust. It's like, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, another tissue break, I think. <laughs> Seriously, like I'm just sitting over here like, you said it best, it's the man that her sister chose. That's kind of yeah. that's kind of nice the way you said that because she did. Yeah. 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 I, don't, I love it. I love love. <laughs> 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 Even if it, you know, has to be secret, yeah. like theirs, yeah. or at least put, put shelved. We'll say yeah. shelved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel particularly sad for Satine because of course there's the love story, but she also is just this pawn in Maul's revenge. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. she has gone against her Mandalorian culture to try and bring this new era of peacefulness in. And it created an insurgency that had ripples through both the, Jedi and the Sith, because obviously that Palpatine wanted to use that for his own benefit. But then Maul comes in and is like so hyper focused on Obi Wan that he doesn't care about mm-hmm. any of the side stuff going on. He just wants to destroy Kenobi and not even kill him. He just wants to make him watch mm-hmm. the woman he loves die. And then like you said, after she dies in his arms, the exact same way that Qui-Gon died in his arms, oh. she's killed the same way, and then she dies the same way. Then he has to go outside and literally watch her world burn to the ground. 
and everything she's fought for her entire life, the thing that one of the things that keeps them separated because they both have duty and she is serving her duty to Mandalore instead of doing the selfish thing and asking him to leave the Jedi and she'll leave Mandalore and they go do their own thing together. Rolling down so the fields of green. Yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. I was picturing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, instead they, they sacrifice all of this throughout their lives and then she dies as a pawn. He steps outside. Her world is burning. Everything that they have sacrificed is for nothing. You know, and that's just extra painful. It's And also, I'm sorry, but that false escape scene <laughs> where they get into the ship and they're getting off the ground and then yeah. she's literally ripped out of his hands. And the, oh my god <laughs> I have so many emotions right now I was it's sad and now so I'm immediately hard. angry <laughs> it, I, I, this is too fast for me <laughs> That's. I also feel like that episode is too fast they're doing too much yeah. in a short amount of time it's 20 minutes and they're trying to like wrap up Maul's mafia game oh. and also <laughs> ruins the teen and also destroy Obi-Wan Obi <laughs> And then lay siege to Mandalore. There was, I always feel like there wasn't enough between Obi-Wan and Maul in that moment. There, It was very rushed and it felt like there's a lot going on and I can't process it. And I literally always burst into tears. <laughs> I can't handle it every time I watch it. Here's how I view it. You could say it was so short, not because they're on a 20 minute episode crunch, but because Maul just wanted to get straight to the pain. Yeah, you know what? This is just too good. Let's just feed off of his raw emotion. Let's kill it right now. Now that we're here and talking about it, I think that there's a... I mean, he's definitely a twisted individual, okay? Mm -hmm. And Sam Witwer plays him brilliantly. But... Brilliant. Yeah. I think he's torturing Obi-Wan in this way to prove that the Jedi are imperfect and to mm -hmm. get him to crack and break and mm. be not who he is, not who he claims to be. So, you know, if you can get this, and we've been talking about how upright and just and noble Obi-Wan is, if you can get him to crack, mm. the whole thing's done. Wow. Wow. You can get and, any of them to crack. And I think that is Maul's goal with these things that initially it was a victim of circumstance where there's these two Jedi after me and got to take them out. And, you know, Obi-Wan happens to be one of them. But then after that and his well-nourished hatred of Obi-Wan uh, when he was healing led him to that conclusion that I'm going to break him... Of, mm. of all the Jedi, I'm going to break him to prove to the galaxy and to Obi-Wan himself that he is not this guy. He's not this good. And it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't it work. It doesn't no. work. And it makes me wonder, though, in season seven, Obi-Wan seems a little bit meek in moments, especially when Bo-Katan is saying, I thought you cared about my sister. And he says, I did, but you know, I can't let my emotions drive my actions and I have mm -hmm. to go and get the council's permission. It's like, he's kind of shrunken back a little bit from the more bold action that he would take. And it's like, because 
sticking to his guns is the thing that makes him him. And at what point is it not worth it anymore? How mm -hmm. many times does he have to lose somebody he loves before being the noble Jedi mm -hmm. isn't worth the suffering? It, I wonder if they'll touch on that in the Kenobi series, mm -hmm. because obviously by a, a new hope, he's made peace with whatever, mm -hmm. whatever he's been dealing with, but that doesn't come from nothing. No. Right. Forgot about that in season seven. That's right. Wow. There's that, there is that confrontation. Mm -hmm. Now, Leanne, you had mentioned that it was, and we all sort of talked about it, but you mentioned it pointedly uh, about the speed with which this happened and what, how it had to happen within a 22 minute episode. And this sort of leads into part three of what we're going to talk about. And they introduced Maul into Rebels earlier than what we're about to talk about. But do you think that knowing Filoni and how he has these characters' best interests at heart, but also a storyteller, that from the moment that they okayed or decided they're going to bring back Maul into the storyline as a quasi-mentor to Ezra, do you think that this ultimate showdown between the two of them was planned from the get-go to make up for what could have, should have, would have happened on Mandalore? that they're going to give a bookend to their arc and finish it finally to, I don't know, is it putting ghosts to rest? I, I'm not sure, but I, this is just occurring to me now, seriously. Like, do you think that this played part, you know, played a part into the death of Maul in this duel that he had with Obi-Wan? And this is our third part that we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, it's interesting. The final duel with Maul in Rebels is interesting to me because I think it tells more of a story. It's obviously a very quick scene. I mean, one, two, he's dead, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the story that is basically bundled in that quickness of this of the fight itself is that his control and how much he learned since the first interaction with Maul um, is why it was so quick. His control is the reason it was so successful. And at that point, I think Maul just kind of accepted it. I, It had to happen. Maul had to be killed, finally, mm -hmm. this time, in order for both their paths, their paths finally come together in that point. They, there's no other way that Maul could have died. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like a, he's not going to fall on his sword, but he's going to, you know, it's, it's he, Maul knows that it has to be Kenobi, uh, even after all of this. And I think... Obi-Wan also knew that he, he accepted that, okay, this duel is happening. And after all of this, it has to end this way. And I do believe that it was just all part of it. It was all part of their path, their storyline and bringing back Maul in the Clone Wars. Yeah. I, those two are forever connected almost in a way that they knew it like their fate. It's just too many instances, you know, and they just accepted that they are part of each other's story, if not the main driver for at least Maul anyway. And I, I find that actually fascinating. Like at the whole fate thing again, yeah. you know, you meet the people you're supposed to, even if it's Maul who does this over and over to Kenobi, it's just mm -hmm. almost kind of fitting. Like here we are at the end together, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And that's why I liked it. It wasn't so much about the flashiness or how long the, the battle lasted. It was about the story of his control and their acceptance there of the end of their path together wow yeah <laughs> i hope i answered you absolutely <laughs> absolutely. I, 
I can get a little, I love the romance of a good story and like those guys tell it and they do it wonderfully through all of these animated shows. Let's not forget it's animated. Yeah. And you don't even notice that when you're watching mm-hmm. it. That's how good the story is. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Lauren? I love that sequence in particular because of <laughs> like the perfunctory nature of it. Like it's so short, but it's so purposeful. And I've heard it analyzed by a few people, by Dave Filoni and Sam Witwer, but also by another swordsman in London who does like analysis of movie sword fights and he's brilliant. And he was saying, when the scene starts, Obi-Wan stands in his Seresu pose that you're used to with the, his braced arm back and his two fingers forward. And that's classic. And then he moves into Qui-Gon's pose with the sword back. Mm-hmm. So Maul is thinking, I know what you're going to do. And Maul has not changed. He's exactly the same. And he's obsessed and just the same stuff over and over. Whereas Obi-Wan has gone through hell and has learned from his mistakes So he knows Maul is going to do the same thing. And he's going to assume that I, by standing like Qui-Gon, am going to battle him like Qui-Gon. And instead, he knows exactly, anticipates exactly what Maul does and kills him with one swipe, basically. Mm -hmm. Whereas Maul is expecting Mm -hmm. the same old shit, different day. Obi-Wan knows exactly what Maul is thinking. And -hmm. it's because his character has grown and isn't consumed by obsession Mm -hmm. that he's able to be victorious in such a short moment and it's on purpose it's to show how much he has grown as a swordsman but also with the force and with acceptance like what leanne was saying i just think it's such a brilliant it's such a brilliant moment it's of course we would love a great long lightsaber duel but this is more intelligent it's and so that is why i think it's really satisfying and Maul dies in his arms like Qui-Gon exactly. and Satine. Mm-hmm. Come in full mm-hmm. circle. It's a full story. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's There's like what you said, Leanne. It has to be that way. It, it has, has to. to. There's a graciousness in those final moments. I mean, neither of them are angry with one another anymore. You know, it's and that, just... like, how? How is Kenobi that good of a man? He's good. You know, like, He's to, like accept his enemy into his arms and hold him and and say, you know, when Maul says he's the chosen one, isn't he? And he says he is and gives him that, you know, it's his final, we will be redeemed moment where, and then just holds him while he dies. It's just so gracious. It's so gracious and it's so compassionate. And that's the whole basis of that encounter as Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan speaking with Ezra. Um, he's kind of filling in the gaps of, of where Ezra screwed up. And, um, and, and, that, <laughs> you know, Maul led him, uh, you know, he led Maul to Obi-Wan. He's just very calmly speaking with him. And then here comes Maul, that spitfire of anger and hatred. And, and Obi-Wan just kind of speaks with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not until he knows that he has to defend Luke from Maul that he draws his weapon. So he's speaking, he's 
peaceful. He's at ease with the whole situation. And when Maul figures out that he's protecting someone, he's not going to stop until he kills them in front of Obi-Wan as well. So he says, okay, <laughs> this has to end here. And again, going back to what made him successful at first was stopping and thinking. And he doesn't have to course correct this time because he starts out by thinking. You know, as Lauren was saying, it's that learned mind that says, okay, well, if I do this, he's going to do that. And if I give him the perception that I'm fighting in a different style, he's going to attack me the same way that he would have with Qui-Gon. So like everyone was saying with the animation, everything is done so brilliantly, but you can see in his face and in his eyes that he's not angry. He's not even really the least bit upset. He's cautious and ready mm. and so calculated. He knows defend, defend, strike. And in that moment, when Maul is no longer a threat, because he doesn't hate Maul, he just needs to defend against Maul. So mm. when Maul is no longer a threat, he doesn't, you know, gloat or walk away, you know, the victor and leave him to die alone. He's the good person he's always been, and he embraces this life that's being extinguished. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful. That was beautifully mm -hmm. said. Yeah. Charles? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We are on Twitter, right? Yeah, and Facebook. <laughs> One of us is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first of all, you know, legendarily, uh, I'd never watched the animated series. I just found it wasn't my wheelhouse. It wasn't things that I watched until Pat. And then he required me to watch them. Begrudgingly, <laughs> so I did so with Clone Wars. So I watched them all, enjoyed the lore, and sort of got past my hangups about animation, whatever, and realized the depth and breadth of story we saw in Clone Wars. And then he says, okay, you've done Clone Wars. Congratulations. Start Rebels. <laughs> but wait, there's more? And there's he more. finally got used to the animation style of Clone Wars. Yes. And then, and you, then, go, and then you had to switch. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard for me as well. Rebels was harder. Yeah. yeah. I was more used to it at that point because I was anxious for the story as it was going to come. Mm -hmm. And I remember where I was when I saw this episode. I was on the treadmill at work at lunch. You need to stop watching Star Wars on treadmills. It's yes. dangerous well, to your health. It is. I would just start speeding up every time I got so angry at like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like sprinting, like I'm gonna get you, Maul. Like <laughs> I burn a lot of calories. Oh, oh we right here. Uh, <laughs> see, Charles is a reactionary watcher. Okay. <laughs> yes. So his whole body reacts to what he's watching. Well, yeah, like I fell asleep in the Clone Wars movie. Yes, okay, go ahead. <laughs> right, he reacted poorly. He reacted poorly. I mean, um, likewise, when when what, you didn't like Stinky, <laughs> no, no. Aww. 
Little baby stinky. Little baby stinky. Oh no. <laughs> Little baby stinky. So when you're trying to make coordinated movements as one does on a treadmill, um, and you're watching something that you're going to respond to in kind, um, well, it's a good thing he works at a hospital. Let's put it that yes, way. Yes, exactly. Because I was close to the ER at this point because oh, when I saw this and the excitement was building and then um, Clone Wars Obi-Wan voice in the holocron. I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And then seeing his boots and then it's like, oh my God, this is Obi-Wan. I can't believe this is happening. And the duel, which as you said, Leanne, it was, you know, it was nothing about the speed. It was what happened. It was what needed to happen. It was an echo of what happened with Satine. It was that quick mm-hmm. with Satine as well. And when he fell into his arms, I, I, I had to stop the treadmill. I was thankfully alone in the gym. Uh, let's put it that way. Because I was not doing anything, standing here, staring at my screen, probably sobbing like a you know, four-year-old baby, seeing this <laughs> echo of all of these stories that came from before. And again, the catalyst is Maul. But at this point, so much education has happened on Kenobi's part. He was ready for this moment. Maul, in my mind, he was ready for it to end. The purpose of him being on Tatooine was not Ezra, it was Luke. And when he said, avenge us, mm-hmm. that, that's an immediate camaraderie. And I think Obi-Wan understood where Maul came from. He was not so much created, well, he was in a certain sense created for where, what he was, you know, as, as a Sith and then a fallen Sith and then just a person full of anger what could use the Force. Uh, there's a sympathy in there and that completely falls in with Obi-Wan's character. And there was a peacefulness to, to Maul's end. And... Uh, we're together in this and this young Luke you're protecting here will hopefully return us to as a force user, not necessarily good or bad, just as a force user, he will make things right. And it was unbelievably touching and fitting. Just like it was said, it it was fate at this point. There was no one else. He wasn't going to, he was too, too good of a fighter to die in a battle, but no one else is going to take him down, but Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that was the perfect end. And because the lightsaber battle was so short, it, even helped with that realization to see that on screen and just witness that end. And then well, a little bit off the story, but it's like, you know, like, you know, at the end, like as the, and then, yeah. Oh God. And then you get, you get, get um, Jedi, the force theme is like, Oh, I'm done. Absolutely. 20, 25 <laughs> yep. minutes. Yep. Never mind. Forget yep. the last three. I'm done. I thought they were done, but then they <laughs> added Luke. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <sighs> When you thought you were crying like a grown man, you're crying. <laughs> like a one more bonus piece in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Obi Wan's purpose once again. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Calling to yeah. him almost. I mean, yeah. his he's there, taking care of something and someone. And what I particularly love about Maul's death is that I, I kind of see. They both understand they were two chess pieces in the same game. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, whether it's the Jedi and the Republic or the Separatists and the Sith, and they were all just kind of used. And I think Obi-Wan accepted Maul at the end. Like, everything they've been through, there's this acceptance and this, this understanding, this knowledge between them that, okay, we were both kind of just losers in this game that we didn't even know we were playing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the mutual thing. And and I do like that Maul said he will avenge us. 
Yeah. Is that like the first time we ever get a Maul and Kenobi agreeing on one the one thing? Like, like yeah. is that the only time we ever get like, and yeah. how fitting in Maul's final words mm-hmm. that those something that joined them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I guess nobody quite knew how it was gonna turn around and who Luke was and chosen and Leia and all that, but I think um, it's kind of beautiful that their whole story was dependent on it as well. Both Maul as a mm-hmm. force user and Kenobi as a force user tied mm-hmm. to this one child. I mean, it's, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's all this pain and suffering, but it's so good. The story. Yeah. It's the story yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's them. It's us. It's that they're no longer enemies. Everything is an adversarial. That's it. They mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But now in his deathbed, does Maul realize that, Oh, I just second work together in this. It's it's an us mm-hmm. thing right now, yeah. and that avenge us is is similar to the uh, the weight of what Qui Gon had said to Kenobi at the start. Like train him, you know, avenge us. Okay, well I got to make sure this little kid over here got to raise another kid now. Oi, um, <laughs> bring on the beard. But that's now another trajectory, and you see that that weight that he's carrying how high speed it is to get Luke off Tatooine and get him in the Rebels and the whole sort of thing. You got to get this thing going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Final thoughts? man. I need to go cry in the shower for a while. I was just thinking. uh... (laughs) You promised me more laughter, Westcott. (laughs) Well... (laughs) You can't laugh too much when you're talking about poor Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. and his life his life pain. is pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, next time we'll stick to the one-liners. There we go. <laughs> Kenobi's wit. There we go. Isn't there we go. Right there. <laughs> Top 10 lines. <laughs> Top 10 lines. There's 12. Um <laughs> <laughs> So we're on the socials, and so are you guys. Where can everybody find you? You can find us on Instagram at most underscore things underscore Kenobi. And on Tumblr as well as most things Kenobi. And then we have a different kind of different name on Twitter. Twitter is at MTK Podcast. Okay. That's right. There we go. Come on by and hang out. All right. <laughs> we have a website too that Lauren made because <laughs> she's a talent, a brilliant woman. <laughs> oh, you're kind. Mostthingskenobi.com. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it even says hello there to you when you come on. <laughs> I have seen it. I know so. <laughs> so we're also online, apparently. <laughs> most, most days yes most things kenobi no um we are <laughs> we are at conversations.com is our flagship website we have the facebook.com slash conversations instagram is conversations and twitter is at suations we are part of the red five network they've got some wondrous talent on their uh, other podcasts so check them out as well and obviously these fine ladies are are a gem and a pleasure for us to to hang out with well we're just taking after you you. honestly we 
followed your lead. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are great. Thanks for having us. Flattery never gets you nowhere. Oh, <laughs> we'll get Darn you it. somewhere, actually. Oh. <laughs> See, this is why we decided yes, our first time being interviewed by anyone is with you. Oh, yes. what? First time? Oh, man. Yes. Yep. That's exciting. Two friendly dudes. We were like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, good oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, he's flattery right there. Look what he's doing. He's all blushing. There it up. is. It worked. It did something. Yay. <laughs> I guess end this thing out in really the only way we can. Hondo? Oh, sorry. <laughs> of course. This <laughs> works, works with the zoom, zoom thingy, whatever. Um, uh, no. Um, okay, so... The Force will be with you, always. That's why she loves Chopper. That's why she loves Chopper. Yeah, it is. We talk with our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like my pop, my grandfather. And everyone says there's no swearing in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Never watch Rebels. There's a lot of swearing. It's all in the droids. Yes, that was a Gang great Farrick. soundbite, what we just did there collectively. That was yes. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was four-part harmony is what that was. 